Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 484. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy that you're here to join us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Pradeepa Narayana Swami. Oh my gosh, I got that right, yeah? Yay, Kim, that's phenomenal. That's awesome. Uh, oh <laughs> my gosh, Pradeepa, the day that somebody comes on with a rolled R, I am going to be in so much trouble. So thank you for not having any rolled R's. <laughs> <laughs> Pradeepa is a fertility coach, and she's been a coach for eight years, but fertility coaching for the past, what, about four but I'm so yeah. intrigued to find out how you got into this and how this journey even started. Yeah. So this journey, I, I have my own business for last four years or so, but fertility, like I've been a life coach, um, but I've been a professional coach for eight plus years, mostly in uh, working inside organizations. So I nowadays work a lot with leaders, uh, VP and above. So that's, uh, that's where I concentrate uh, my efforts nowadays. But with regards to fertility coaching, suddenly I didn't, you know, like uh, pick a paper from a hat one day and decided to become, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a fertility coach. No, that's not how it happened. I actually um, personally uh, struggled with infertility for 11 years, actually. Eight years of going through miscarriages, you know, failed treatments, IUIs, intrauterine inseminations, that is three of them, three failures, and eight IVF failures, in vitro fertilization failures, back to back to back, including donor cycles. Oh my, my gosh. jaw really, really long, eight plus years. And it affected me not only from the physical self by, you know, taking a lot of these injections, the medications, the tests, the procedures. The only thing they didn't do in both of us was cut us open. Apart from that, we had all the tests going on top to bottom, left to right. So that's a lot on from the physical aspect of it. But uh, that's only part of it. There, there is a ton of emotional aspect. Every time, you know, when you have a loss and when you go into this treatment again, there is so much hope that you put forward. There is so much optimism. I'm generally a very optimistic person. So much optimism that you have to go into this next treatment thinking that like, yeah, this is it. This is my time. This is when I'm going to get successful, right? Yay, um, you know, but only to know that it didn't succeed. Um, so I typically use this analogy, like it feels like every time, you know, you work really hard to climb up the stairs of the 30th floor building, only to fall down from its window face flat, Yet you have to pick yourself up again and go back again for the next time. So that's how it was for me from the emotional aspect. Oh my gosh. Can I just send you a big virtual hug? Thank you. Thank you. I'm accepting it. I thought that my, my struggle with infertility was rough, but I didn't go through eight years. I I went through one year with four miscarriages. I don't think I've ever shared on the podcast that actually at the week that we got married, I had a, um, is DNC the right word? Yeah. Yep. DNC yeah. is the right word. We got married on Saturday, but just that prior Monday, I had a DNC. Wow. And 
I was a wreck. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first of four that year. So you're a mom now, though. Yes. Was there a miracle or did you adopt, which is still a miracle by any means? Yeah, we decided. So after the eighth failure, Kim, like I said, it was too much from the emotional aspect, right? I'll share some emotions with because uh, with your listeners, because I feel like it's very important. And it may resonate with a lot of people. And not only just the sad, you know, frustration, anger, disappointment, but two of the emotions that often uh, we don't expose nor talk about in general is shame and jealousy. There was so much shame because, you know, you know, you get married, you have unprotected sex for a year or so, you get pregnant, right? Right. That's, that's how I know about this, right? And I'm originally from India. And out of all the amazing things India is known for, it's also known for its population. And I have never seen anybody struggling through uh, bearing a child in my family. So I was naive about that fact. So I thought that like, yeah, you get married, you know, you whenever you decide it's going to happen. But when it didn't happen, it kind of took me in a different route. It, it was surprising for me. And I, I felt like I was blindsided by this. Huh, what is infertility? Right? I didn't even know about that, to be honest with you. I was that naive because I've seen people, you know, getting married and having a child very commonly. So when it didn't happen for me, it like it really turned my world upside down. And there was so much shame because it's supposed to happen and it's not happening for me and my husband. Like, why? Like, why me? Right. Why not me? Because people around me, all my friends who are getting married at the same time, my family members, my cousins who are getting married at the same time, they're all getting pregnant. You know, they're all celebrating their baby showers and birthday parties. Like, why not me? So there was so much shame in me that I couldn't really expose or express. And I was in a shell, Kim. I was in a thick shell. I was not, I am personality wise, I am not like that. But during these terrible years for me, I was in a shell. I remember, um, yeah. Oh my gosh, I can totally feel that. After that first one, there was a girl that used to be in my department at work who was still in the business, but she had transferred to another department. And she came over within probably a week or two of me having that miscarriage. And she shared with the other guys in the department that she was pregnant. And yeah. not just pregnant, but pregnant with triplets. Yeah. And... I had to politely excuse myself yeah, exactly. to go cry in the bathroom. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that leads to the next emotion. There is not only shame, unharmful jealousy there. You know, it's not for the mean way, but there was so much jealousy. Like people around you are announcing their pregnancies, you know, right and left. And they're celebrating all these baby showers and birthday parties around you. And I even have to host a birthday party after my fifth failure, host a baby shower in my home and think about how difficult they were very close friend. And we were out. I mean, like we already decided that we wanted to do it. So how difficult it must have been for me to put forth a face to really celebrate it with this person where I just lost, you know, an opportunity just a week or two ago. So yeah, I what you're saying, I completely, completely understand. There was so much jealousy. I never 
realized this. I knew there was something going on with me. Like I didn't care about these messages. So I, I avoided talking to people. I even avoided going to India for four years in a row and pardon my language, giving all sorts of bullshit reasons why I can't go. I didn't want it to go because I was, first of all, ashamed and I didn't want it to face the difficult questions. What's delaying? You know, when are you going to get pregnant? When am I going to have a grandchild? You shouldn't be delaying. Things like that. And I don't want to see people who are, you know, who just delivered a baby or who are happy with their family growing. We're here. I'm trying. I'm trying. And I'm trying my level best. And yet it's just not happening. Right. I can totally hear that. Yeah. Wow. And right after the one with the triplets, there were like four other pregnancies in the office. And there was another one right behind me with twins. Now, listeners, you know I do have a lot of kids. And no, I have not adopted. It's just somehow for me, my situation changed and I stopped having miscarriages. But it doesn't work that way. Pradeepa, how did you... How did you handle, and I, I'm sorry, this is such a, just a sort of cold question, but I have someone very close to me who went through several IUIs and several IVFs, and I, I didn't get her permission to discuss her case explicitly, so I'm not going to say names here, but I know she was feeling really bad, I think, about the money that was being spent, and same as you just said about climbing 30 flights of stairs it's not just the shots and the medications and the acupuncture and all of the treatments that you have to get but there's also a huge financial investment as well exactly yep it's not uh cheap uh having going through an ivf procedure is not cheap and we did it anyway and there is a huge financial obligation and every time when it fails it feels like you know you're draining the money down the toilet it's just like taking a bunch of money and put it in the toilet and just flushing it. And that's how it is. But both my husband and I, we were, we were fortunate enough to, you know, not let that bog us down. And we just wanted to give it a try. We wanted to give it all in without really, you know, let the financial aspect worrying us. We were really fortunate from that angle, to be honest with you, Kim. May I ask you a this might seem like a cold question. Okay. Listeners, you know I'm I'm respectful. So if it comes out of my mouth wrong, it's me just putting my foot in my mouth. Okay, let me just put it that way. Were you in a stressful work situation when you were going through your infertility? When you were having this, the struggles with IUIs and IVFs? Not so much. The stress, yes, there was stress. Well, I mean, I know the procedures in themselves were extremely yes, stressful. That's exactly what I wanted to share with you. And by the way, Kim, you're not, you know, ask me anything that comes into your mind and you don't have to apologize every time because I wanted to have a very open and honest conversation with you. And sometimes uh, the question needs to be very direct. Um, so please feel free. Okay. I'm giving you permission. You don't have to apologize every time. You're amazing. I just don't want to insult or seem like I'm being cold. You know, thing is going to insult me because I am open with my journey and I wanted to create awareness uh, for other people who are going through this that, you know, it doesn't have to suck. So that's why I am here to talk to you. But let me get back to your question. Yes, there was stress. But in my work, 
you know, not so much stress coming from my work situation. You know, I had a very good working environment and stuff like that. But what I was doing at my work was I put on a very fake face, like everything, and I never discussed anything personal in my workspace. I was very careful. I haven't even, you know, exposed my husband's name, to be honest with you, to many people at my workspace. I was that protective of my personal information because I told you, right, there was so much shame. And uh, every time there was a failure, you know, I have to take time off because, you know, these procedures and stuff, they take time. And sometimes you have to be in a bed rest for a couple of days. I always wish like, my God, let the bed rest happens during a weekend so that, you know, I don't have to put another couple of days because oddly, you know, if you, if you have to take a couple of days in the middle of the week, it may, it may sound weird. And what kind of reason I want to take care, right? So there's all sorts of these confusions. And I couldn't tell because there was, again, that shame factor. I was hiding everything so nicely. At least I thought I was hiding. Yes. But nobody in my work knew about any of the struggles that I was going through in fertility. Uh, only when I decided to expose it last year during a, a, with a blog, that's when people like wrote back to me like, Pradeepa, I didn't know that. We've been friends for such a long time. Why didn't you tell me? Like, I didn't know anything. I put on a face, a fake face. I was not authentic to myself. I put on a, a fake face for my work, um, showing and pretending that everything is great with Pradeepa's life. You know, I'm this cheery person. But inside, you know, when there is a phone call from the doctor telling me yet again, sorry, my dear, you're not pregnant, you know, it shatters. Part of me dies inside. And, you know, when my first time, I, I still remember that my first IVF because IVF, like I'm sure you know about this, it's like the golden standard for fertility treatments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still the golden standard. And the first time, you know, after all our, after the IUI failures, our doctor recommended, okay, let's not waste any more money in IUIs. I wanted you to, uh, both of you to try an IVF cycle. And he explained about the possibilities and the success rates. And it really raised my hopes up. Okay, this is it. And this is it. This is my time. The first time, right, tests came out all good. You know, the protocols looked good because I'm not a medical doctor. So whatever the doctor says, you know, everything went out fine. And I was like very eagerly waiting for my test results that day. I have to go give my blood in the morning. So typically late afternoon, the doctor typically calls to, you know, to expose the results. And I was just like, I had a Blackberry back then. Um, so just looking at my phone like every like one minute, like literally, I was. Did that. I miss the call? Did I miss the call? Did I like, miss the call? Is the call ringing? Is the phone yeah. ringing? Is the phone ringing? I was so flustered that day. I was so uh, you know not concentrating on work that day. I was in my client place, but for some reason, you know, that was bound to happen. I missed the call. Whatever happened, I have no idea how I missed the call. It went into my voice message, like I was just like like so nervous, so anxious to hear what this is. Like, you know, in my, in part of my heart was saying, yes, it's time to jump up and down to celebrate this, right? This is it. This is Pradeepa's chance. And uh, went to the window and, you know, like I was slowly, I was in Minneapolis at this time. So I slowly looked at my phone and listened to the voice message and I started hearing the message. One lead to, you know, like one lead to notice that the phone is slipping my, from my hands and tears started flowing from my eyes uncontrollably. 
And uh, somehow I realized, okay, I'm, I'm at a workplace and I wiped my tears very quickly, picked up my phone, just ran to my desk, picked up my bag and I'm my colleague who was sitting right, right next to me saw me like, what's happening? Before even he had a chance to ask me anything, I literally ran. I literally ran to the door. Wow. Yeah. And it happened. That was my first time, Kim. It happened eight more times. Mm. So after all of those times, there's a lot weighing on your mind by that point, I'm sure. Do we try again? Let me tell you, sorry, I, I was about to ask a question. I told you I get excited and I put thoughts on top of each other. After our four, and I, I can't even imagine eight or nine times, after our four, I told my husband I'm done. I was like, not with him. I said, I can't go through this anymore. It wasn't that we were not getting pregnant. We had four miscarriages. So I just felt devastated because I just could not hold these babies. You know, right. they started and then my body just decided no. So I was like, nope, we're done. You know, yeah. we can have sex, but I'm not. I'm not going into sex anymore thinking maybe this is the time I get pregnant because I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. So at the end of that, where were you at mentally and physically and what did you decide to do next? Yeah. So it was three miscarriages, three IUIs and eight IVF failures. Oh my so gosh. So eight plus three plus three. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that many times, that many losses. 14. So, yeah. Yes. You know this. When you are going through fertility treatments, your intimacy kind of goes away mm -hmm. with your husband, with your partner. You know, it becomes mechanical. You know, you're looking at the ovulation and, you know, you have to do the injections and it just becomes so mechanical. You're not enjoying. And there is this emotional turmoil um, that's going on. There is this physical ailment that's going on. And, you know, you are not yourself. You're losing that intimacy. And uh, that's another reason why, you know, like why I support couples nowadays a lot, because, you know, when you are losing that intimacy, when the passion gets out of the relationship, you know, there are a lot of challenges. There's so much stress on relationship, which people don't often talk about. There's so much stress on relationship um, that happens. You know, I'm doing some research on my side, Kim. It's unfortunate to report so many couples, so many couples who are going through infertility they're either getting separated or they are ending up divorcing each other, not because they are not able to have the outcome they desired, because they don't have the proper tools nor the skills or the support to take care of the relationship challenges. I can see that. Yeah, it occurred to me, Kim, because like I said, like 14 failures, you know, when it becomes so mechanical over a period of eight years... It's a lot. I've been married for 18 years now. Eight years going through something like this is a lot on a relationship, right? Yeah. I didn't know what to ask of my husband. He didn't know how to support me. I didn't even know to ask him how he is doing. I was wound up in my own world, in my own shell, thinking about all the things that are going wrong with me and my, in the treatments. I never even cared to ask him 
shame on me, but I didn't know better at that time how he is doing. And that really, you know, now looking back at my journey has led me to where I am today as a fertility coach, really helping not only women, Kim, but I help men, women, and couples infertility journey suckless because I have walked the walk and I have done so many mistakes. I have made bad decisions. I avoided seeing my family. I didn't know how to say no to my friends when they invited me to at another baby shower or birthday party. I hid pretty nicely at work. I was faking it. You know, I didn't even want to talk to my husband. We had this invisible wall between us. And that was growing taller and thicker. So if you can imagine, I walked the walk. And I walked the walk for a really long time. And I fell to the deepest of the deep. And that came. You know, I can live the rest of my life ignoring that eight years, eight plus years, that pretending that it never happened, or I can do something about it. And I chose the latter. I did something about it. That's amazing. Yeah. Listeners, if this is your first episode, my husband ended up returning. So we got married in March of 2012. And we went through three more miscarriages after that. And in September, he started getting his degree uh, he returned to school and I needed to supplement our income a little bit because he couldn't work. And so I started my business. And as I said before, we just, I told him we couldn't try anymore. It just couldn't happen. And within two months of starting my business, I also started my business in September, 2012. Within two months, I already had enough client work that I had to quit my job. And I'll never forget. It was the week after Thanksgiving when I gave my notice. And I had a doctor's appointment that week, I think. It's a little bit fuzzy now. And they actually gave me the surprising news. Um, you're pregnant. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. I wasn't even trying. Like, I was done. And that's yeah. our daughter now. And I've always looked back at it to being related to stress because I really didn't like my job. I kept on going out for promotions and there was just so much stress on that. And there was a lot of stress in the house too, just because of trying and because of my husband kept on losing his job. The person who's really close to me, who I shared about earlier, was in a high stress job and went through a lot of failures as well and decided to try one more time with her husband, one more IVF. And the only way that they could try one more time was to take money out of the retirement account. And to do that, she needed to quit her job. And it was a very, very high-stress job. But she decided, it's worth it. You know, let's try. And so she got out, and the stress decreased, and she ended up getting pregnant. That's why I was asking about stress. But it doesn't work like that for everybody, which is just so unfortunate. So yeah. your life has changed since then. How did you decide to get into fertility coaching? Yeah, I'm just so curious. How did you decide to get into it? I mean, I know you've been through so much, and often our our mess, for lack of a better word, makes our message. Right. But how did you see the need? Yeah, 
Absolutely. I don't know whether I answered your question. So we, after the eighth failure, somehow my husband even said, you know, there is this big age factor with regards to going through fertility treatments. The more older you get, uh, the chances of even, you know, going through these fancy treatments, the percentage of getting success rates is drastically reduced. After our eighth failure, my husband even suggested, maybe let's go for one more time. But somehow I, I got the courage to say that, like, no, I don't want it to. You know, I don't want it to try this anymore. I want it to stop right now. And he totally respected my decision. And we went into the adoption route. So we started our adoption paperwork. And um, the frustrating part with our um, infertility journey, Kim, is, uh, like I said, they did all the tests top to bottom, left to right, only to find out the doctors couldn't find a reason for our infertility. So it's termed unexplained infertility. That means medically we couldn't find anything wrong with you, yet you're, you both, you're not able to get pregnant. You're able to get pregnant, but you're not able to um, somehow carry the terms, or you're not even able to get pregnant. So we don't know why. So that's why we have this magical term. It's called unexplained infertility. And when you're given something like that, it really doesn't give you any closure, Kim. It really doesn't give you any closure. I was praying for like, tell me something is wrong with me. Right. At least I would use that mentally to move on. Right. But with unexplained, it's I'm, I'm still, you know, like unexplained infertile, medically speaking. I couldn't move on. It took me three years, Kim. Three years, I was still, like, even after we started the paperwork, three years I was wound up with, man, God, I tried everything. You know, it's not like I gave up. It's not like we gave up. I gave everything into this, yet it didn't work. Why it didn't work? Why, 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 why? You know, it's all these question marks. I was desperately seeking for an answer that nobody can provide. Like why it didn't work. And now I know the answer, Kim. What is that? Yeah. Say that again. I said, what is that? I'm so curious. Yeah. Now I know why. I had to go through this 11 years of treacherous journey, painful journey, long journey, sad journey, frustrated journey, jealous journey, just so that I can find myself Turn back one day, huh, that's a really long journey and I can do something about it. And I became this person, coach, a fertility coach, to walk beside somebody who is going through what I was going through so that their journey doesn't have to suck that much. That's why I have to go through this. I'm actually deliberately, purposefully, and intentionally using this word, I'm grateful for my infertility journey because it led me to my life purpose, Kim. Mm. That's so beautiful. Like, I always hesitate to say that because that's how I found myself here with positive productivity. Not through the infertility, but I went through major anxiety and depression. Entrepreneurship doesn't need to suck, but mine did. And I don't want to see it suck for other people. So I totally appreciate that. Yeah. 
what are some of the ways that you, I don't know how to say this any better than unsuck fertility? Yeah, yes. <laughs> My <laughs> statement is pretty simple and straightforward. Helping men, women, and couples in fertility journeys suck less. I cannot say suck free because it's going to suck somewhat. Yep. But and because of the treatments, you know, because of the results and things like that, it is going to suck to a degree. But what I'm offering is helping it to suck less. And initially when I started, you know, coaching people going through fertility struggles, I only started working with women. That's my primary focus because I was thinking like I was a woman. It was such a hard journey for me. Right? And I really wanted to help other women going through this. Um, so even my advertisements initially said like I coach women. You know, that's that's how specific it was. But then through coaching other women, very, very soon, you know, I'll tell you an example. One of my client, she talked about on a Father's Day, she came and gave this example. Like, um, Pradeepa, I asked my husband just the simple question on Father's Day, how are you doing? And they've been going through some very painful infertility journey themselves. And they had a loss of a baby before as well. And uh, just to find out, her husband just broke down. Just broke down. And she has never seen her husband like that before. And it took her by, not only by surprise, but she just didn't know what to do there. So when she was sharing that story with me, and after I heard that, I was thinking to myself, like it took me back to my journey. I've never asked my husband how it was going for him. You know, it's a partnership thing. It was not just a women's thing. You know, we both were in it together. And at the time, I was so wound up and I was in this shell and there was this invisible wall between us. I failed to see or I've even failed to ask what was going on for him? And that really clicked me. Huh. Men go through this mm. as well. And they go through this very differently than we as women do. They have emotions too. They may not show it just like how women typically shows. So they show it very differently. It would have never occurred to me. It had never occurred to me until just now talking to you to ever ask my husband that. Yeah. And that is so embarrassing now thinking about it. Yeah. Because as I told you, we were we got married right after that the DNC. And I remember one of the wedding planning meetings at our reception center while I was still pregnant. I actually said, I don't want anybody else to drink because I'm not going to be drinking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because I was pregnant at that time. And he just sort of looked at me in surprise of, uh, this is our wedding. <laughs> I want a drink. I want champagne at the toast. <laughs> and then after the DNC in our last meeting with the planner, I said, oh, can you make sure there's a big bottle of champagne at the table for me? Yeah. Because I was just going through so much pain. And he got this look on his face. And now looking back, I realized he was going through all that pain too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. it wasn't just me, and it never even occurred to me. Yeah, and they have two responsibilities when it comes to infertility journey, Kim. One is, 
you know, they have to somehow find a way to manage their emotions, which is not easy. And number two, they have to support their partner because, you know, it's more visible with women. You know, they tend to carry more of that outwardly. So they have two responsibilities and that's not easy. And they lose their identity somehow in this journey. Another unfortunate thing typically with couples going through infertility is whenever, if other people knew about this and if, God forbid, you know, if there was a failure, people ask, how is the wife doing? How is your wife doing? Mm. Nobody asks, how are you doing? Right. Husband. Yeah. Nobody asks that. It's very uncommon. So to your listeners, if you know of somebody, if you know a couple going through this, when you wanted to ask a question, make sure you ask about it to the male partner as well. I'm not trying to make a joke out of this, but maybe we should start checking in on our husbands every month when we're going through our cycle and just being complete witches. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> right. That's something that we don't ask. No. We don't ask. I know, like, even though you're saying it as a joke, Kim, I think there's so much value in people checking with each other when couples check in with each other, husband yeah. checking on wife, how are you doing? And wife checking on husband, how are you doing? No, seriously. I mean, I can easily get into the woe is me. You know, I'm cramping so bad. I hate having my period. But I never think to ask, how are you doing? You've yeah. been listening to me gripe for five days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It becomes us. And same mm -hmm. with infertility too, right? You know, it kind of, you know, you're, I was wound up. Right. I'll talk about myself. I was wound up in my own world, in my own shell, mm -hmm. and in my own failures, right? In my own emotions. And I forgot to see what was happening or I ignored to see what was happening. And I got angry with him because he was not crying the same way that I was crying for each loss. Right. I got angry at so many things. Right. I didn't have the proper tools or techniques to sit and communicate with him. Right. That's those are not the things that we teach at school, of course. You know, like if I have something's changed, we have to teach our children these things. How to talk to each other empathetically, how to be emotionally intelligent, how to truly listen to somebody, how to truly hear somebody. Not only the words they are saying, but the words they are not saying. Right? So You've just got my head swimming because I can specifically remember spending days in bed. Yeah. Just crying. And now that I think about it, he was downstairs. And I, it just never occurred to me. I mean, there's a... Yes, a lot of the strain is on the woman's body because she's the one that's taking the medications and getting the shots and for IVF that extracted from you. But the husband or significant other still has a contribution to make. So when it doesn't work out, he could even think that his contribution, I'm just saying it delicately, I don't know if kids are listening, is just flawed. My husband yeah. and I couldn't understand why it just wasn't working for us because we each had been in previous relationships where we each had kids mm. and we were incompatible with our previous partners. Yeah. I mean, that's how we wound up together. 
So it's like, how the heck can we make children in these incompatible relationships when we want to make a child together that we know will be raised in a loving home? It just won't work. How is that fair? Right. Yeah. It's sort of like, well, it's not sort of like, I can imagine that it's very similar to how many steps of the grieving process, seven or five? Like there's the anger, the sadness, the blame, just all of that. Yeah. The inner talk, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what is one of the foundational practices that you offer to your coaching clients? So this is how I approach coaching. I don't give advice to my clients. You know, my coaching is coming from an angle where I see my client, a complete person, a resourceful person, and a whole person. And they are an intelligent being. And what I help is to really ask deep questions for them to find their own answers in their own journey where they are stuck and really help them get unstuck and move forward. And I be the mirror to show them from their own words, this is what I'm hearing from you, their own blind spots, their own inner critics, you know, their own talking heads inside that's really hindering them to make any decisions, to see anything clearly, to get unstuck, to get the energy back and move forward, to get the relationship in order, to be able to communicate properly to their husband, to be able to empathize with their husband, to be able to tell no to their friends, to be able to have a decent conversation with the family and have answers when the question or conversations get awkward. They will have tools, they will find tools. And to be able to have an authentic relationship and to be able to take control of their life and to not be wound up in the infertility circle. Some of my clients, you know, who are going through infertility, they are going after other goals that has nothing to do with their infertility. Some bigger, amazing goals that they are going after. That's amazing. So they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. That was a bad pun, I know, but... And we typically do that. Mm -hmm. When infertility hits you, that's where I was. Mm -hmm. My world wounded up in that infertility's cycle, circle, or the shell. Mm -hmm. I was just there, complete darkness for me. And, you know, when I come out, my world looked like as if I'm looking through the world through a Vaseline-smeared glass. No matter how hard I tried to clear the Vaseline, the road wouldn't be clear for me. That's how it was. Through coaching, they will clear their own glasses. So they find what the path is for them to move forward and go towards the things that they thought was, you know, I'm going to pause on this right now because this infertility is happening for me. So some of my clients are going after their bigger and better dreams, doing amazing things in the world. And I'll give you one one testimonial from one of my clients without exposing her name. She started working with me since November, and she had a pretty treacherous journey as well. 
And when we started working, you know, we've been working, we're still working. When we started working, you know, it went into, our coaching went into paths that were in her past. Some of the things that she has unresolved, that needs to be resolved, that needs to be cleared, the baggage, you know, that she was holding on to, the emotions, the inner critics, the demons that she had inside her head, things like that. Slowly we started working on getting those clear. And when her body and her mind and her heart got rid of those things that were not serving her, her body was able to open up for more amazing things. Her mind was able to open up for more amazing things. And she is going after a law that really prevents people going through infertility and having miscarriages, how do they get time off? You know, we don't have, people get bereavement holidays, bereavement leave, like when somebody died in your family. Right. Now I lost a baby, I miscarried. We are not treated the same way. So she's finding ways to figure that out. Yeah, it's like, when are you going to be back at work? Yeah, she's trying to figure that out. That's her goal, apart from her work thing. And a beautiful side effect of coaching for her was she's pregnant. Wow. She's pregnant. That's why I'm calling it very specifically a side effect. Because I don't promise outcomes, baby outcomes for my fertility clients. I'm not a medical doctor. And I'm very clear on that. I don't treat people. I don't offer suggestions. I coach them so that they figure this out on themselves. And when they work hard, my client, she's a superstar. She worked really hard on herself. She showed up. She was committed. She did what she was. She told me that she would do and more. When she worked on it, you know, her body was able to open up for more amazing things. I, I, since I've been on that world, I know the medical complications that a woman can have. And she is one of those extreme cases who had so many complications. And now... You know, she was very happy to report that she's expecting and she's going at it strong. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know what it stands for. I ended up having MTHFR. I don't remember. I thought of a cuss word. That's what I called it. It's the damn MTHFR that's doing it. It was blocking folic acid in my body. And we worked on that. For my connection, she quit her job and went through another round of IVF. And is now 21, 22 weeks pregnant. Yeah. It's not always going to work that way for people. Yeah. But there have been major shifts in my life. And in the meantime, when I stopped focusing on the fact that I couldn't keep the pregnancy, I birthed a business. Yeah. And that turned into where it is now. Not, it wasn't there right away. But just like you're doing, Pradeepa, like you birthed a business out of this where you can help so many other people. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where can listeners find you online, connect, get to know more, and possibly work with you? Yeah. So all my information is on my website. It's www.lives, L-I-V-E-S, dash, or hyphen, transformed, T-R-A-N-S-F-O-R-M-E-D.com lives-transformed.com and all my information is there my contact information is there my phone number is there my email is there so feel free even if you just wanted to have a conversation like I said 
infertility is always going to be part of me. Even though I have a I have a child right now, you know, I'm still considered medically infertile and that will never go away until I die. So infertility dies with me. And I really, you know, I have taken it upon myself as my purpose to really help and support as many men, women, and couples going through infertility journeys so that it can suck less for you. And, you know, one thing that I wanted to offer to your listeners, Kim, who are, you know, it's open for anybody and everybody who are going through fertility challenges actively or, you know, I don't want to forget those people who have gone through infertility, yet somehow they are not successful and they give up because that never goes away. People still live with those feelings, still live with those emotions. A part of a group that I'm, I'm in, like people over 50 years, like women over 50 years, they comment like, even today I wake up in the mornings and suddenly is crying because, you know, I don't have a child. And it still affects people no matter how old you become. So work with me. I can help you. And whoever reaches out to me, you know, is going to get a powerful coaching session with me. So that's something that I wanted to offer to all your listeners, Kim. Thank you for such a generous gift. That's amazing. Listeners, you can find the links if you're driving, working out, just unable to write it down at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP484. And if you have been through an infertility journey or if you're going through one right now, or as Pradeepa said, infertility goes with you. It doesn't just go away. If you've gotten something out of this episode and you feel comfortable sharing, please leave a comment down below. Pradeepa, thank you so much again for being on today. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I really wanted to share that Take control of your infertility struggles. Infertility should not own you. You don't have to be a victim of your infertility. And I believe couples, men and women, who feel empowered doing their infertility journey have a more positive experience. And that's what I provide with coaching. I have been there where you are. So please reach out. And let me help you. And I really look forward to connecting with you and discovering the possibilities. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Bye.